This week, I talked with John Vanderwalker, who is the Community of Christ Inland West Mission Center president. He explains what the Community of Christ is and what they believe. And as usual, I asked our guests about digital programming. But because it's 4th of July weekend, toward the end of our interview, we also discussed the divisions we're seeing in the country right now and the importance of listening to one another's stories. Welcome to Faves Forward, a podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. Well, my name is John Vanderwalker. I live in Rathdrum, Idaho. I have been a uh, employee and minister for the Community of Christ since 1999. Um, before that time, I was a small business owner. I had a bee business in southern Idaho, pollinated crops in three states, which amounted to millions of dollars worth of food. Uh, I was very proud of the, the way that I was able to contribute to the health of, of humanity through providing good uh, food resources and uh, took that job as, as a beekeeper, as a, as a stewardship um, of not only my family, but also of the bees and of, of the people that I service through my pollination service. So I have uh, a wife and two daughters and four granddaughters. And currently we have no pets, but uh, we do have a nice garden in the backyard and hobbies that keep me busy. That's really neat. And what is your role right now with Community of Christ? Right now I serve as an executive minister. Uh, my title is Mission Center President. I am the uh, administrative officer for uh, the, the Inland West Mission Center, which is a group of congregations that include Montana, Idaho, Eastern Washington, Utah, and I have jurisdiction over North Dakota and Oregon as well, uh, but currently we don't have any congregations in those places. I also drive, um, when when we're not in a pandemic stance, I dri drive uh, educational initiatives for uh, leadership development and discipleship development. That's a pretty big geographic region that you're... It, it is the in the community of Christ. It is the largest geographic uh, mission center in the United States. Um, Canada is actually split into two geographic areas, and so they would be bigger in North America. And then we've got Australia as its own um, jurisdiction too. So, it, I do have the largest geographic area in, in the United States. Wow! And about how many congregations would you say are in that area? Well, like a lot of Christianity, uh, the church is shrinking, and uh, right now we currently have 20 congregations in that area. Uh, when I took this position over the first time, clear back in uh, 2007, uh, we had 32 congregations. And so part of the challenge of my job right now is uh, how do we deal with a church that is shrinking in congregational presence but still has members in all of these places and how how do we how do we navigate that and we're learning a lot of that right now in this pandemic you know ways that we may be able to 
navigate the future of the church. Right. I'm sure. Yeah, whether you'd like to or not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's something we've been talking about for 20 years and now, now we're finally forced into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for listeners who may not know, what is the community of Christ? Community of Christ is a denomination that would be classified in, in Christian uh, scholastic terms as a Christian primitivist. Um, it, it came out of uh, the early 19th century. You know, the, the American Revolution, uh, as taught in public school, is, you know, Fourth of July and we're all excited about you know our liberty and all that but most people don't think about how important the revolution was in american christianity or religion for that matter in, in america in the united states especially so in the early 19th century there was a lot of fracturing of church and the and the rebellion that was a political rebellion that began in in the 1700s and uh, culminated with the War of Revolution and the Constitution of the United States. That rebellion continued as a rebellion against uh, institutions and those church institutions that were from what, you know, is commonly called the old world or Europe. So there was a, a movement of restorationists. And so we're part of the restoration movement, which is part of the bigger Christian primitivist movement. And it was a movement that was looking back at um, early Christianity and trying to recapture some of the things that were happening in the early part of the Christian movement back, you know, around the year 30 up to 200, 400 in that area. So uh, our founder was Joseph Smith. Uh, we were part of the LDS movement after uh, his uh, assassination in 1844. And, and actually before that, there was a lot of things that were going on in the Latter-day Saint movement during Joseph Smith's time that was become abhorrent to a lot of folks. And, and the, the church was just shedding people uh, and they were landing all over uh, the mid-America from Texas all the way up to Wisconsin and Michigan. And uh, when Joseph was uh, assassinated, the church kind of fractured some more. Uh, a bunch of people a year or two later decided they were going to go west and they ended up in Utah. But there were a lot of people that just felt this original idea that uh, Joseph had in the, in the early part of the 1830s was a pretty good idea. And yet they rejected a lot of the later stuff. And in 1860, there was a, a movement of these people that were kind of cast off or self-separated from the church, uh, decided to, to get together and see if maybe they couldn't resurrect something from that original idea. And that became the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we, we functioned under that name until 2000 when we changed the name to Community of Christ. Um, one of our main uh, tenets is that we, we believe that the, the best expression of Christianity is a community of people joined together uh, for the betterment of society and um, that only only a community can accurately uh, represent the body of christ because <clears throat> each one of us has our own talents and skills but they cannot express the totality of of jesus um, whom you know we we're trinitarian so we 
believe that Jesus was the highest expression of God that's ever been on the planet. That does not negate any other expressions of God that are in other religions. Uh, but that that only in the community can can that expression be full. And we fully recognize that it's never complete, you know, that we are human beings and we're never going to have this complete expression of what God's desire for humanity is, but we can get closer to it in community. Okay. I don't think I knew all of that history, so thank you for that. You're welcome. And locally, you have a congregation in Spokane Valley. Is that the closest one for this demographic? We have a we have a congregation in Spokane Valley. We have one in Coeur d'Alene, and there's one in Sagal. Oh. Um, So, and there's and the two in Idaho are very small congregations. You know, we're talking fifteen. The one in Spokane Valley, when we're meeting, uh, we have generally around thirty-five to fifty. Right now on our Zoom worship, we're averaging right around 48. Okay. But we do have very nice facility in, in Spokane Valley, and we've been very fortunate in having other groups share that facility with us. Just before the pandemic, we began hosting another congregation, uh, a Slavic-speaking congregation uh, that was it's just a brand-new uh, church plant. We're just brokenhearted that we had to close the building just after their first meeting. Because, um, you know, they're just getting their feet under them and and we really want to see them succeed. But, you know, we have to do what we have to do for safety of the community. No, of course. And so it sounds like you're on Zoom, (laughs) of course, like everybody else. So Sunday, Sunday looks like Zoom worship right now. So right now uh, we do have the the mission center that that I my level of jurisdiction, we do have. a once a month Zoom worship that is sponsored by the Mission Center. And we try to get guest ministry from around the world to be in that worship. Congregations. So one thing about Community of Christ is what we're kind of a homemade church. We don't have any paid pastors. We have um, lay ministry, uh, bivocational ministry. Most of our ministers are either retired or they have other jobs and so a lot of the stuff that we do is is homegrown and we encourage our congregations to you know provide their own ministry to their own people so i'm not usurping their authority in their local jurisdiction by saying okay we're going to do this and you're all going to come i'm trying to encourage them to do their own thing because i think it's a most more most genuine type of worship and expression of ministry that needs to happen like the ministry that might happen in southern idaho is not going to be the same kind of thing that would happen in northern idaho or spokane or seattle or you know that it's just a different way of communicating with each other and different life experience different community experience all of that so right now a lot of uh, zoom worship people are keeping in touch through emails and you know the standard ways of keeping in touch, Facebook and Twitter and all of the things that we that we have at our hands now. Anything really creative that you've seen from a congregation that seems to be really working? Well, there's a couple of things that uh, the, the Utah Salt Lake City congregation, uh, we have some really, really whiz bang. <laughs> there's an old term. Uh, we have some very... Uh, 
adept folks in the social media down there and uh and they have excellent zoom worship and one of the things that they're doing is instead of having like a sermon and we've learned that hymns don't really work on zoom because the platform isn't made so that everybody can sing and pretty soon you just got all the boxes all over the whole screen lighting up and nothing's being heard except for a bunch of noise so you know they're they're experimenting with canned music of course but instead of a sermon they're they're doing uh, interviews where someone is is interviewing another person and that is allowing for kind of an interchange and really the, uh, to me it seems like it gets to the heart of what the congregation probably wants to hear um not that they want not that they want the answer that that, that they get but that they get to ask the question that's burning and uh so i think i think that's kind of an innovation that's kind of cool uh, one thing that we're trying to do at the mission center level is uh, we're sponsoring a couple of times where this is the time of year when our church has the camping program going on we have uh, youth camps and a thing we call reunion which is a family camp and those are like a central part of the calendar of the community of christ reunion is a big deal we're not going to have any of that this year and so to substitute that for me and i've been to a lot of reunions because i've done like three or four a year for the last 20 years the central part of that for me is not you know the preaching services and the classes although classes i really enjoy i, I like teaching them i like being engaged in them but it's the sitting around the coffee pot or under a shade tree or you know, we have a campground that my wife and I actually served as the managers of for three years that's on an island and sitting on the bank looking out at the bay. I mean, and having a conversation about things that are important to you, whether it be your family, whether it be politics, whether it be uh, your faith or struggles that you might be having with uh, each other. All of those things are really important. So we're we're trying to mimic that through a, a Zoom coffee time on saturday morning just for men and then um and i'm trying to encourage some of my female cohorts to to start a tea or something for women and what would that look like and encourage that to happen and that's not because we you know we think that men and women can't talk to each other but we have a dessert time on monday night that is just for everybody and uh, I plan on making blackberry cobbler and sitting in front of my computer and eat blackberry cobbler and talk to people. And it's interesting to me uh, how important that conversation is and how important it's become, even though we're hundreds of miles apart. So it's, there, there's a few innovations. I can't say that we're really breaking ground. I know that, you know, in the community of Christ, there's a lot of jurisdictions that hit the ground running and they've got full-blown online stuff going on and uh, they are in a different culture than we are here in the west for one thing midwest is different than the west and uh, i just can't see us going to a, a a great expense or of time especially to put something together online when I don't believe that the folks are going to participate in it because we live in the West and we live here because of everything there is available to us. 
uh, not only recreationally, but work-wise. And I think that uh, we're trying to hit a middle ground where we don't wear people out with online stuff, but we offer poignant time. Right. We can't completely replicate sitting around a campfire, but that conversation and that community back to the name of your faith Mm -hmm. uh, is, is key. And so trying to figure that out and what that looks like. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of the beauty, if there is beauty in all this is you get to try things. Yeah. So are you also doing, you mentioned camps too. Is there, is that for families or youth typically? Yes, we have, in my jurisdiction, we have four family camps. Actually, this summer we were going to have three because our uh, our usage is, is down to the point now where it's difficult for us to maintain our facilities. We have uh, campgrounds in Idaho, Montana, and Utah, and then the, the one over at Samish Island in uh, Washington, which is by Bellingham. Uh, we have family camps at each one of those. We also sponsor youth camps in Idaho, Utah, and Montana. So all of that's been put online. And we have, I've charged the directors of those camps to uh, develop online camping experience for the kids. And we're finding um, various degrees of, of acceptance of that by the youth. Utah seems to be really taken hold and we've got a good registration for that camp. Montana and, and Idaho are struggling a little bit, but I'm confident that it'll come together. And and it won't be like we're going to get together and have, you know, class in the morning and crafts and all that kind of stuff. It, it's basically going to be evening type activities where the kids online with parents present uh, so that, you know, we're trying, we have a very very strict policy on protecting children. And so we we require that um, everybody that engages children, whether it's online or in person, is registered as a youth worker, and we do background checks on them. And then um, our, um, if it's an online thing, that a parent is present in the room with the children while they're participating in the online thing. That way, um, there cannot be any question about, you know, content or of conduct and so but i'm very confident that we're we're going to have some good experiences for the youth this year one of our big issues right now is we have a legislative session once a year where delegates from all over the mission center come together to carry on the business of the church and we're trying to figure out how we're going to do that online that's the end of september and i'm pretty confident we're not going to be together until October and maybe till January of 2021. Yeah, this is all changing so fast. It is dramatically changed in the last week. Yeah, really, in this last mm-hmm. week. Yeah. You mentioned the the kids. We're we're kind of seeing Zoom fatigue with adults right now. I can't imagine trying to keep uh, little ones engaged, but yeah. uh, I'm sure you guys will figure that one out. You, you know, you know, one of the things you asked about innovation and. Mm-hmm doesn't have to do with camping, but one of the things that, that just came to my mind is we do have a pretty significant uh, group of seekers um, from the Utah LDS faith that are, you know, looking at the community of Christ. 
And one of the things that this has, has allowed um, us is to create safe spaces for seekers to come in and just drop in and see without being uh, extremely vulnerable, which you know is is a real positive for them. And it's a positive for us because we can be genuine and um, and not smothering and that kind of thing. But one of the innovations is that um, there's a book club uh, for kids and uh, it's, it meets every week or every other week and the kids receive a book and in the mail and then two ministers come online for a half an hour and they talk about it and they usually have a little craft that they do in they're talking about racial justice they're talking about other social issues that the kids are probably hearing in the in the background of their lives and, and that is that is becoming a really significant thing for those kids and for those families so that's one of the innovations that i had nothing to do with i didn't dream it up or anything but that's what happens when you surround yourself with really good people good things happen and you get to tell about it. So that's, that's great. I love that. You know, you mentioned the seekers um, kind of popping in and uh, Mm -hmm. checking you guys out Uh, earlier. You were talking about how the church is shrinking, but I wonder with the digital technology that we have, if COVID might actually allow the church to grow. Do you think that's. Yes. um, I think it will. Like we were talking about earlier you know, we've been talking about this emerging church. Uh, I spent 15 years reading and studying about uh, emerging Christianity and the shift that's happening in Christianity. And um, we, we had this, something's coming and we don't know what it is. And we were doing everything we could do to kind of force thinking and all that kind of thing. Well, now it's nothing that I've done, but this pandemic and isolation from one another has forced us as a community to start thinking what is the most important thing and we've actually been counseled by our church presidency uh, you know to determine what is the most important thing and uh, that was long before the pandemic Uh, what is most important and i've closed a lot of congregations and generally what happens is a, a congregation gets to a point where it can't pay the bills on its building and it closes. And then the members are just kind of lost for what to do. I got a call yesterday from one of our missionary minded people. He said, I want to start a monthly communion service, Lord's Supper, for people all over the mission center who no longer have congregations that they can go to. Uh, they don't have a building. And and then he shared with me how important it was for him to be engaged in online communion uh, and and how he thought it would be hokey and contrived. And when they had the experience, and every time that we've had the experience for the last three months, it has been neither of those things. It's been genuine, it's been moving, and it's been unifying. So you know, that's one of the learnings that's coming out of this, that even though you and I are sitting in different communities 100 miles apart, um, by seeing your face and hearing your voice, you know, I recall us being together in Utah at the Parliament of the World's Religions. I recall, you know, the class that you taught about putting your church on social media so that that distance between us 
is shrunk. And even though we are not able to hug and shake hands or congratulate one each, each other with a slap on the back, that distance is shrunk. And it's because of this media. Right. It's a reminder that the church isn't just a building. It's more than that. That's exactly right. In fact, I just got through writing an article for our congregation in Spokane Valley. It says the community of Christ is not closed. The body of Christ is alive and active. As long as we continue to be engaged with each other in the ways that we can and uh, engage the divine in the ways that we can, we're always open. Now, physically opening, though, <laughs> is right. um, because you have so many different um, communities that you're, you're uh, communicating with, and they have different protocols on when they can and can't open, but you have different values as a community of Christ that you guys are looking at, right? Whether right. or not to open, what are those look like? Right. So, um, community of Christ is a, is a fairly progressive uh, denomination. Uh, we put a great deal of credibility in science. Um, in fact, our church college has is, is produced some pretty high-powered scientists in NASA and different places. I mean, we're, we, we, do, we do adhere to the scientific method. Um, so CDC is an important advisor to us. Um, our guidelines for reopening are based on CDC policies and guidelines. And and then we add into that our own um, what we call the enduring principles. Now, Community of Christ is a non-creedal church, so we don't have a creed that you have to, you know, raise your right hand, put your hand on Bible, or anything like that. It's a it's a the principles are what we what we call enduring because we can interpret them for the the context in which we live. And we take those enduring principles like the worth of all persons and uh, making good choices and those kinds of principles. And we, we add those on to the CDC criteria to develop the protocols that we have for reopening. Basically, we want to protect the vulnerable. And a lot of congregations, as, mo as a lot of Christianity is, uh, are older people that are vulnerable. And as the administrator for the area, I also depend a great deal on data that is um, compiled by CDC and Johns Hopkins. And I look at that data for the areas that I'm responsible for, and I look at it at a county by county uh, basis. And if those counties are in any way flat or growing in their number of cases, then if they should provide a plan to reopen, because we, we ask every congregation if they want to reopen, they need to provide a plan of how they're going to sanitize, who's going to do the cleaning, who's going to be their medical officer that keeps track of everybody, how, what their protocol is in case they have a COVID uh, case show up in their congregation, how are they going to report that, what kind of uh, things are they going to provide to the congregation as they show up, Masks and sanitizer, is that going to be available there? If it's not, you're not going to open. Um, masks are mandatory. There's no hymnals in the church. There's no bulletins in the church. There's no pens or pencils or anything that people can pick up and fiddle with. All of that has to be done before they can open. If they have not seen in their county a three-week decline in cases, then they are not going to get to open. 
And I had one county that was in a decline for three weeks and we worked, I'm not kidding you, for three weeks on this plan until we got it so it would pass. And I'm not the only guy that has to look at the plan. I mean, there's people above me that look at it too, but I'm the final guy. They got their plan all together and I looked at the data and they had a bump. I said, okay, we're gonna have to wait a few days. And it just continued to go up and continue to go up. And I had to tell them, you know what, I'm not going to be able to allow you to open after we did all that work. Of course, the plan's in place so that if, if there is a decline starts, then they can, you know, they've got all that work out of the way. And I got an email from a congregation this morning who I approved their plan. They had not had a case in their county, period, not one. And uh, they, had a, they had a case show up day before yesterday. And they wrote to me and says, you know, we've got one case in our county and we are not willing to risk. I thought, wow, can I clone you? <laughs> you know, because there's some places just don't understand why in the world are we being so cautious? I think that the prophetic nature of our cautiousness is really starting to show right now how being careful is probably the smartest thing you can do in this situation. Now, we're going to be online for a while. I saw that you guys are offering grants for some of your congregations. Yes. We had a, a member that has been isolated for decades from the church. Uh, she traveled into the congregational activities in Utah once in a while, which was like a 300-mile trip for her. And uh, with Zoom, she can be in church every Sunday. And she was so excited to be a part of those worship services. She called me up and said, John, I've got some money from my husband's estate, and I'd like to propose a grant. And I says, well, that's great. How about if we match that as the mission center? And so the, together, the two of us put together some money, and we're going to offer grants to congregations that would like to buy uh, equipment to help them with their Zoom worship. We, we won't pay for a subscription and we won't pay for music licenses and that kind of stuff, but we will help them buy equipment. And, and our idea is that eventually we'll be able to get back into our church buildings and um, they'll be able to stream worship services from the church building and continue to reach these people that have been isolated for so long. And I hope that they look at more than just cameras and microphones and computers and that kind of stuff. I hope they begin to look at how can we put the technology in the hands of the people that could use it. You know, so, you know, buying Kindles, library worth of Kindles that they could take to someone who's had surgery and is not going to be able to be in church for a month or two, you know, and teach them how to get on onto a worship service with the Kindle or tablet of some sort. Yeah. So that's our hope. Now, our grants are very small. I mean, we're, but the cool thing about the technology now is that, you know, some of this technology is pretty inexpensive. The things that you can do with a thousand bucks now is pretty incredible compared to 20 years ago on this kind of technology. So, yeah, yeah we're, I'm, I'm proud of that. It, it, you know, a lot of the congregations are, are waiting to to apply for these grants because they they're kind of well we don't really know exactly what it is we need we're going to keep doing this for a while before we figure you know and then when we figure it out then we'll come and ask so yeah. that's that's good stewardship I like it that is. I'm so curious what the church is going to look like when all of this is over 
<laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And you know, one of the and this is kind of a downer part of it. You know, I'm I'm 61 years old, and you know, I've been a part of this institution since I was eight. You know, and I've been pushing for this change all of my professional ministry career. And then I wonder, am I creating something, or am I going to help create or shepherd the creation of something that I'm not going to be fit for? Not that that the church wouldn't be welcoming to me. I'm not afraid of that at all. It's just that, you know, how am I going to fit? And Because, you know, I've got certain gifts and everything. Hopefully there'll be some way that I can express that. But it's it's kind of an interesting thing when you get into this situation of how do we, you know, how do we function in the future? And then, you, you know, you're kind of, you don't really know what your place is going to be in it. Of course, we don't know when, what anybody's place is going to be in it, you know. Right. Well, I still think your pastoral voice will be needed. <laughs> well, thank you. For whatever capacity. Thank you. Now, this um, podcast is going to go out over Fourth of July weekend. Mm-hmm. And there is um, a lot of division in America right now. And speaking of your pastoral <laughs> voice, what do you hope some of these, I don't know, conversations might be over this weekend? people might be having well in my family there is very divergent as, as every family there's very divergent views about politics and policing and race and and all of those things you know striking that detente <laughs> is difficult i think that you know we've we've been through the culture wars in the community of christ just like other denominations some some denominations embraced it you know decades ago and have gone past it and they're thriving in their new in their new expressions uh, we we have been we've just recently in well, 2013 we addressed uh, the lgbtq question of you know how are we going to uh, fully engage that community in our community and and you know become one community fully participatory we found in that discussion which took about a decade and and then it was a concentrated discussion that took about three years that the thing to do was engage with scripture in in a scholarly way and engage with each other to talk about the things that were common to us tell our stories with each other that are common to us you know the stories about policing and and your experience with with law enforcement and and then be able to and willing to listen to openly other people's experiences of those same kinds of interactions i think that uh, by doing that and then engaging also engaging authors i think that conversations this weekend you know if people will just listen to each other not pass judgment not get wound up and start shouting, um, but listen, and um, maybe keep the opinion down to a minimum. I remember one time when I was a writer for Faves, there was barbs being thrown across denominational lines about LGBTQ questions. And uh, I said in a, a little quote that we need to not be doing that. These denominations need to struggle with this themselves. Our opinion from outside is not helping. I think that one thing we really have to do is is recognize that while our opinions are probably based on some personal experience and maybe some 
they are based on personal experience and they are based on hopefully cognitive thought that our opinions aren't as important to the discussion as listening to the other person's story and then thinking about it and then coming back and revisiting it at another time. We are terribly divided in this country. How a face mask be can become a political expression. I have no clue how that happens, but I have to confess that when I, you know, I live in North Idaho and when I put on a face mask to go to the grocery store or whatever it is that I have to do, and I look at all of these other folks that don't have on a face mask, I just, you know, I want to write on there. Yeah, I'm a liberal. You're right on my face mask. That's what I wanted. That's what I want to say. But I don't know what their story is. So, you know, that wouldn't be a fair thing for me to do. So I struggle with, you know, how this is going to go. I can tell you that I'm not going to be with anybody this weekend because I've got some underlying health issues and I just, I can't afford to be exposed. Well, I think you're right. We're so eager to tell our opinion, but we have to listen to other people's if we want that opportunity, right? This policing thing right now is, is, is one of those, you know, I've got family members that are in policing and uh, I want him to come home every night alive. And I know some of the situations that they get into that are just extremely stressful and dangerous. But I also know that there is an inherent racism in this country that's systemic and systematic. And uh, I know that. And I know that I'm a part of it. I think one of the things that, and I've been thinking about trying to write something about this on Facebook, um, or maybe even for faves, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, for faves. You know, a big part of our problem in the United States is we have no, no way of dealing with sin anymore. We have poo-pooed the idea of this, I don't know, endemic or systematic sin that culture creates to protect itself. Every time somebody says law and order, I just want to cringe because I know what the order is and I know that how the laws are constructed in such a way to make sure that order is maintained at the cost of a significant portion of our society. And I think that comes down to our, our lack of being able to recognize that we all screw up. And sometimes it's a, a mistake or a uh, not even a mistake. It's a planned thing in such a way that it is intended to help us and hurt someone else. And I've seen this in churches where somebody dies and they were just a wonderful person in the congregation. And I don't ever want to take away from the contribution that people make in congregational life. And so they memorialize a person by putting, you know, something under a window, a stained glass window or a park bench or something like that. And then the stories start coming out about how this person beat his kids. And in the congregational life, the person was a contributor and an important part of the congregation. And everybody would have agreed that that bench was a good thing to put up in honor of that person. Well, we've got these statues of people all over the place. And I don't care if they're Theodore Roosevelt, who is one of my heroes, but every one of them, including me, have got 
stuff in our closet that would condemn us in the public eye. My attitude toward uh, the homosexual community back in the 70s is nothing like it is now. And I repent for that and I'm sorry for it. So if we start using these people and putting their statues up all over the place and naming things after them and, and all of this, eventually, you know, everything's going to come out and we're all going to be disappointed. So let's just stop doing that. It's something that as long as you put your ideals in the form of a human life, you're going to be disappointed. And, and that's why, you know, for Christianity, and I think for all of the world religions, that they put their, their ideals and their uh, values, or they, they base their values on texts that are open to interpretation in the context of the time that they live. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, the story of creation in the, in the Old Testament and talk about it in the context of evolution. We can also talk about it in the context of uh, human failure. There's a lot of things that you can do with a text that you cannot do with a human life. And so I think that's, that's something that really is, is an important thing for us to learn, is that as long as we continue to hold up these individual human beings, we're going to be disappointed. That's a very timely discussion right now. So there's a lot, obviously, going on in the country and in clearly in your heart and in your mind, mine too. So you don't have chickens anymore. No. You have a garden, but what are you, how else are you kind of just grappling with everything? I think you're a fisherman, right? Yeah. Well, you know, like everybody, you know, if you live long enough, you get to, to start bearing some of the things that you got to see other people bear. And I'm getting to that point, you know, my, I recently lost my dad and, uh, he and I were fishing buddies and that's where we really fishing buddies. And, and we worked in a shop together when we were together. And so I continue to do those kinds of things. You know, I, I, I've been fishing a few times and had some really good trips, you know, just half day trips, but that's the great thing about living here is you can drive for 40 minutes and be casting dry flies over trout, which is like amazing. And I've been fortunate that most of my life has been lived in those places. So, Fishing is one of the things that I do to kind of get myself in touch. I remember, well, last time I was out, I was fishing this hole, and I, I was referring to it as a Zen practice, which actually there is some literature on the Zen of fly fishing. I was standing there, and I heard something. Of course, there's like five different bird songs going on all at once, and and you know, it comes to me that you know this kind of diversity. You probably could have made one bird that would do everything that those birds do, and there would be one song. But the diversity is the important witness of that experience, that all of these different animals doing different things, from warblers catching bugs on the bank right in front of me as I rebuild my leader, to the uh, evening grosbeak that flies across the river, you know, just all of the different, th and the mergansers that floated down the river while I was sitting on a log taking a break and were looking at me like, what the heck is that log doing? <laughs> and croaking at one another, you know, all of that diversity uh, to me just witnesses of, of a divine tenet, I guess, a divine 
characteristic that that God loves diversity, that the divine loves diversity. And I, I really am sensitive to speaking in Judeo-Christian terms. I don't want to try to alienate anybody, but diversity is an extremely important part of our, of our world that we live in. So being out in nature helps me with that. Also, a single-mindedness. I build knives and, and do a little bit of uh, wood carving and leather craft and that kind of thing. That kind of single-mindedness, focusing in on one task, kind of blocking everything else out, it allows something else to go on in the back of your head that actually is refreshing. And a lot of times I can go into the knife shop and you know work on sanding out a knife handle or sanding down a blade and come out of the shop you know, three hours later, four hours later, with a solution to whatever it was I was struggling with before. I think that's the power of gardening too. Uh, any any activity like that. One of my mentors, who was a, a member of the first presidency of the Community of Christ for years, he told me that he wrote one of his most important books uh, while he was weeding the garden. So um, those kinds of activities for me are just really really important to my discipleship. Well, I hope you can find time for, for some of that soon. That was John Vanderwalker talking about how he sees the divine in nature's diversity. He certainly inspired me to get outside this weekend. Thanks for listening to Faves Forward, which you can find on our website, SpokaneFaves.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Hey, we're trying to raise $2,000 right now to pay our journalists to cover the coronavirus. You can help by visiting our Facebook page and making a donation. We would really appreciate it. Thanks, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.